Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Jesus heard their talk, their whiny voices accusing him of being a child of the devil. These Pharisees were men who hated Jesus and everything he stood for. Why? Because they knew Jesus was a threat to their power. He was a threat to their way of life. If Jesus was the Messiah, then the world was about to change, and the Pharisees could not have that. Plus, Jesus didn't act in ways they thought a Messiah should act. He wasn't leading a revolution. He wasn't attacking the Romans and leading an overthrow of the oppressive Roman government. He was doing none of that. Instead, Jesus was attacking them. Jesus was hanging out with people the Pharisees considered arch-sinners, arch-enemies of Yahweh. Even one of their greatest enemies was part of Jesus' followers, Matthew. He was a tax collector. And he was an important part of Jesus' inner 12 disciples. How could Jesus, if he was the Messiah, be hanging out with people like him? That's what a Pharisee is thinking. He couldn't. There was no way. There was no way that Jesus was the Messiah. And if Jesus is the Messiah, he's not doing things the way they thought he should. Plus, Jesus is challenging their authority and their power. And they could not have that. So the Pharisees came to Jesus. And after seeing all these miracles that he's done, he heals people. He casts out demons. Jesus is doing miracle after miracle after miracle in the cities around the Sea of Galilee. After all that, the Pharisees come to Jesus and ask him to give them a sign. A sign. They want him to do something that would validate him, Jesus, as a prophet. Prove you're a prophet. They want some sort of display of his power right here, right now. Now, the Apostle Paul will later write that the Jewish people are looking for signs. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 22. Jews seek signs. Greeks seek wisdom. That is what Paul said of the Jews, that they were people who wanted to see a sign. They, they wanted to see some display of power that would validate a prophet's claim. And in Jesus' case, they wanted some proof that he was the Messiah. I want some proof of that. Give me a sign. Now, the thing I don't get is this. Jesus just did a miracle, right? He had just healed the man whose hand was crippled earlier, right? He had done that in the synagogue. And then later on, he had just done this miracle, right? Where he had cast out a demon and healed this man so he could see and so he could talk again. He had just done an amazing sign. But remember, the sign they were seeking was some manifestation of his power. So I think Changing a tree into a cockroach or turning water into wine. Oh, wait, wait. He'd already done that. Um, he'd already done that, right? He'd already turned water into wine. He'd already done miracle after miracle. By the way, he had never turned a tree into a cockroach. I was just making that one up. But the thing is this. 
Jesus had done sign after sign, but Jesus knew that these Pharisees would not have accepted any of his miracles, even if he had changed a tree into a cockroach. The signs, the miracles he could have given them, they just would have gone right over their heads. It would have bounced right off their dark, sad souls. Jesus knew any sign that he gave them, any miracle, would have been useless to change their minds about who Jesus was. They were determined to not see Jesus as Messiah, to not see Jesus as their Savior. Jesus knew their hearts, right? He knew any sign that he gave them that they would just accuse him of doing it by the power of Satan again or or use it somehow to denounce him. And you know what's interesting is God did not mind giving signs to people in order to strengthen their faith. He gave a sign to Moses where he turned his staff into a snake to confirm that he was the leader of the people and he had the power of God behind him. God used Moses and gave him the ability to turn the staff into a snake as a sign to the world that Moses is my man. You know, he also gave Gideon a sign of a wet and dry fleece to confirm and convince Gideon that, yes, you're my man. I've called you to do this. He later gives the prophet Isaiah the sign of a young woman or a virgin conceiving a baby to confirm that what Isaiah prophesied will come true. And then later Matthew borrows that sign and says, look, look at this virgin birth. This is true. It's a prophecy fulfilled all the way back in Isaiah. God has given sign after sign after sign before but they're used to convince or confirm someone who already has faith. Not to convince or confirm somebody who has no faith. No, it's used to encourage someone weak in faith. But Jesus isn't dealing with people who are weak in faith. No, instead he's dealing with people who are out and out rejecting him. So, Therefore, Jesus refused to give them the sign they wanted because they were totally rejecting him. They were not believers. And so he refused to give them the petty little sign, an amazing miracle, by the way, some miracle, he refused to give them the sign that they wanted. But you know what our gracious, loving Lord did, Jesus? He did give them a sign. But it was what we would call an obscure sign. A sign that would go completely over their heads. And you know what's really neat? Instead, he gave a sign to us, to us in the future. Back then, he is giving a sign to me and to you and to all those who would believe in Jesus. He gave one of the most incredible signs, one of the greatest miracles of all time. He gave the sign of Jonah. That's what it says in Matthew 12, verse 40. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. That's the sign he gives him, the sign of Jonah. What a sign! Now that is a sign, but... The Pharisees in Jesus' day would have just looked at him and thought, what in the world are you talking about? How is 
How is Jesus? How are you going to be in the ground for three days and three nights? You're going insane. But of course, we, right, who live post the resurrection know exactly what Jesus is talking about. But I don't even know if Jesus' disciples would have understood what Jesus was talking about. Now, they all would have known the story of the prophet Jonah, right? Now, just to remind you, it's a great story, and I have another podcast about that. You should check it out. But remember briefly, Jonah, he tries to run from God. God tells him to go to Nineveh, and Jonah says, no way, and he runs because he hates the Ninevites. Well, Jonah was in this boat running from God when a huge storm erupted, and the sailors threw Jonah into the sea in order to survive. Well, while Jonah was in the sea, right, a huge fish comes and swallows him whole. And then Jonah is in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. And while in this belly of this huge fish, Jonah repents from running from God. And soon the whale vomits Jonah on shore. And then Jonah walks to Nineveh and he preaches. And guess what? The people of Nineveh repent. Now, the people of Nineveh were Gentiles, non-Jews. They saw their sin once Jonah started preaching, and they repented. The Gentile people of Nineveh repented, but these Jewish Pharisees did not repent. Jesus is making that point. And then Jesus uses the example of the Queen of Sheba who left Africa and traveled all the way to Israel to meet and learn from Solomon. And she was changed. She believes in Yahweh. And again, a non-Jew, a Gentile, heard God's message and she and her people repented. And then Jesus says, If that's what the Queen of Sheba does in the presence of Solomon, guess what? Jesus says, someone greater than Solomon is here. These Pharisees were seeing the Messiah, the the greatest human being ever to live, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And still they rejected him. And so that was the other sign Jesus was giving them, the sign of the Gentiles hearing the message of God, right? The people of Nineveh, the Queen of Sheba, and how when they heard the message of God, these non-Jews, the Queen of Sheba and the people of Nineveh, when they heard the message of God, when they heard about Yahweh, they repented and changed when confronted with their sin And Jesus is saying, here is the sign of non-Jews seeing the reality of the beauty of Yahweh, and they repent and change. But you, Pharisees, who are Jews, who should know better, who have read the law, who have read the Torah, who have read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, have studied it extensively, you know all these things, and the Messiah is standing right here in front of you, and yet you do not repent and you do not change. That is a sign that I am giving you. Then Jesus tells them a warning. And it's a pretty scary warning. He says, you know, I want to give you this example. There was a man who had evil spirits within him. And then they were cast out. Now remember, earlier Jesus had cast demons out of this blind and deaf man. And he's connecting it back to that. 
Well, Jesus is saying that here, someone can't have demons cast out of them, right? They can have their house put in order. Jesus basically compares the, the inner spiritual space of a, of a human being, their soul, to that of a house being put in order and clean and swept. But, and here's the key, but if left empty, no matter how clean and orderly it is, no matter how swept and clean this house is and everything has its spot and everything is neat and tidy, if this soul, if this spiritual house remains empty, then Jesus says, that man who I just cast a demon out of, and he gets his life in order, and everything spiritually seems outwardly great, and on the inside everything's orderly and, and swept and clean spiritually, according to you Pharisees, well, if nobody comes to live in that house, guess what? Those demons that he cast out, they're looking for another body. They're looking for another human to inhabit. And then they're going to come back and repossess the very man they got cast out of. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, Jesus says, it roams through waterless places looking for rest, but doesn't find any. Matthew 12, verse 43, and then he says in verse 44, then Jesus says, it says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. This is the demon talking. I'll go back to my house that I came from. And then Jesus says, returning, it finds the house vacant, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and settle down there. As a result, and I can imagine Jesus telling this interesting example, and then leaning into the Pharisees, as a result, Matthew 12, verse 45, as a result, Jesus says, leaning in, looking at the Pharisees, with love in his eyes, warning them. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. And that's how it will also be with this evil generation. Notice how he ends his story. That is how it will also be with this evil generation. And he's looking at the Pharisees and he's talking straight at them. And the Pharisees and many of the Jewish people around him at that moment as he's telling the story, they don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe he is the Messiah. They don't want to put their faith in Jesus. And so whenever Jesus sets them free, whenever Jesus cats out a demonic spirit from a person unless they allow that spiritual house that spiritual space that was full of that demon and now it's empty unless they allow that spiritual space their spiritual house to be filled by jesus if they don't allow their life to be inhabited by our savior they will instead be possessed by something else and in many cases, I think that they will be repossessed by the demon that was just cast out of them. One author wrote it this way, But without Christ within, there can be no victory. 
This is why, this author goes on to say, it is dangerous for people to be nominal but unbelieving Christians, present in Christian events but not in Christ by faith. Christ's presence always loosens the bonds of evil, whether people confess it or not, or whether they are even conscious of it. People will feel better for being in church and may even clean up some things in their lives, but we must be aware that swept and orderly houses are attractive to unclean spirits who are ready to take possession if the Holy Spirit has not. Unless people are possessed and controlled by Christ, the last state of such churchgoers or moral non-churchgoers may be worse than before. End quote. And to me, that's a scary statement. And I hope that is not anyone listening to this story. First of all, I want to say, if you have never repented of your sin and asked Jesus to save you, if you've never put your believing loyalty on Jesus as the only God you will follow, he is your Savior and Lord, and you repent of your sin and you put your faith and trust in him, and on nobody else and no other God but just on Jesus, if you've never done that, but you've gone to church a lot, right? You, you, you've heard the message. You do moral things on the outside. You try to do what's right on the outside. You, you've gotten some bad habits out of your life. Maybe you've used Christianity to stop drinking, to stop some drug addiction, to stop something else. And you're starting to see some outward, you know, hey, I'm getting better in my life. I'm doing things. I'm sweeping up the mess that I have in my house. But you've never asked Jesus to come into your life to fill that space within, to be a follower of Jesus so that Jesus leaves the Holy Spirit inside of you and the Holy Spirit now directs you and comforts you and encourages you. Because the Bible says when you are saved, you are immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you've never asked Jesus to save you, but outwardly you like all the churchy stuff, you just don't really know if you believe in Jesus. You do all these nice, awesome things. Jesus says you're in grave danger. Because you're just like these Pharisees who saw Jesus and rejected him. To be possessed, whether demonically or just by the spirit of the age. Some other type of spirit of, of compromise that comes into your heart, comes into your life. Yes, you have this empty space. And what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, your condition is worse than it was before. Because that demon comes back not just with himself, but with seven others. And some of you listening to this have heard the gospel message over and over and over again, and you keep rejecting it. And you have this spiritual empty space that is being filled by something. And again, I'm not saying you're demonically possessed if you reject Jesus. But I am saying, number one, it could happen. You now have an empty spiritual space and it could be possessed by something as frightening as a demonic spirit. But I also secondly want to say it will be possessed by something 
if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit and if you're not possessed by Jesus and a desire to love him and to follow him and to put your believing loyalty and faith and trust in him, if your life isn't filled with that, it's going to be filled with something. And it's going to be worse. And it's going to be selfish, self-driven, negative. It's going to do you harm. And it could ultimately lead to demonic possession. And so if you are playing the Christian game, Jesus says you are in danger. You are in grave danger. But I pray and I hope that you see the beauty of Jesus. You say, I want my life to be possessed by Jesus. I want to follow him. I want the beauty of the Lord to fill my life. I pray you ask Jesus to come into your life to save you. That you'll be a follower of Jesus the rest of your days. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.